0: The reading tonight comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. If you're reading from the church Bibles, you'll find it on page 969. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter. you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. So I was just reminded of uh, a young person that I worked with. I can't remember their name for the life of me. Um, but it was at a Christian union we were running uh, in a high school. I was about 18. Uh, and this girl, she'd never been given a Bible. Um, she'd never kind of read from it. And this was the first time she'd come along. Um, <coughs> And we said to this girl the week previous, oh, you don't have a Bible? Well, we'll get you one. We'll bring it along to you. Uh, So we took this Bible uh, the next week, not thinking much of it. was like, it's a Bible, um, as you do. Took it, gave it to this girl. um, And I have never seen such joy in all my life. She was so pleased with this Bible And it just, it baffled me. As someone who had grown up in the church, had always um, had access to a Bible, you know, I looked down on the pew, I had loads of them all along on my bookcase. We'll come to that bit later. Um, And it, it amazed me. And before we start, I just want to challenge that straight on that point and say, I wonder, do you have an excitement and a joy when you pick up your Bible? Are you excited about what it is? Are you excited about the fact that you have in your hands God's word? Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for your word to us. Lord, I thank you for the Bible. Lord, I thank you for the truth that we read there. Lord, as I uh, speak tonight, Lord, would uh, my words be from you, and Lord, those that are not from you, Lord, would they pass away? Amen. Amen. Great. So if you have your, your Bible in front of you, that will always be helpful. Um, as Charlotte said, the passage is on page 969. Um, it's Matthew 5. So uh, a year or so ago, Ben McFull don't know if any of you guys remember him. He, he preached and, and he talked about a, a hashtag sermon. There we go. Um, and for any of you who use Twitter, that's condensing your sermon into 140, although apparently there's more now, characters. Um, so here's mine in about 60 or so. So Jesus calls us to heart-changing, radical righteousness through his word. Jesus calls us to heart-changing, radical righteousness through his word. I wonder who here has a drawer full of old mobile phones. Can I get a show of hands if anyone has that? Anyone got it? Okay, maybe. Okay, cool. So, uh, every two years or so, uh, Hannah and I get a new phone. and um, goes with the contract. Hannah's always tend to be working. Mine, not so. Um, but the old phone always seems to find its way into the kitchen drawer. And it stays there, and it's forgotten and just neglected. In Mark 3, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are not happy with him. In fact, they claim that he has broken the law. The people there, including possibly some of his followers, some of his disciples, were asking if he was bringing a new teaching. And then with that, they would jump into the conclusion that the old teaching, that is the teaching of Moses, the law and the prophets, were no longer relevant or needed. In effect, much like the old mobile phone, they were put in the kitchen drawer, so to speak, and, and left there. They would be neglected and forgotten about. So, as we come to this passage, Jesus is sitting uh, with his disciples at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount uh, in Matthew 5. And he's teaching them. First off, he starts by telling them uh, about the upside-downness, as it were, of the kingdom and the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And then he teaches them about their need to be distinctive. He says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Both passages, I imagine, are really well known to us. I think that's fair to say. And then we come to today's passage, possibly not so well known. And Jesus talks directly about himself. So he's spoken in the third person, then in the second person, and now he says, I. And specifically, he's talking about how he relates to and how he understands the law and the prophets. And I can imagine at this moment the disciples standing up, uh, sitting up as it were, and listening and wondering what he is about to say. Jesus says, and read me uh, in verse 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus' answer to the question, has he come to get rid of the law and the prophets? To metaphorically put them in the kitchen drawer, as it were, is simply put, no, no. In fact, he's come to show deeper. He's come to show more. So when Jesus is referring to the law and the prophets, it's almost like shorthand, as it were, for uh, the Old Testament, as we would call it. And Jesus' understanding of the Old Testament is simple. It is that it is God's word. It is God's truth. And we, too... Should understand it as such. Yes, it's written by human hands. We know that. But it is divinely inspired by God. It is His Word. But what the Old Testament isn't is the whole picture. In fact, it is a partial revelation, it shows us part. As one commentator puts it, the Old Testament, we're talking about flowers in this bit. Um, The Old Testament is the gospel in bud, and the New Testament is the gospel in flower. The Old Testament is the gospel in bud, and the New Testament is the gospel in flower. But yet one is not complete without the other, is it? Put it a different way, or as Hannah put it, in a different way. The Old Testament is the gospel as a caterpillar. And the New Testament is the gospel as a beautiful butterfly. There you go, bit of cheese for you. Um, so the Old Testament reveals to us, in the Old Testament, God reveals to us three major things. Okay? So the first is this, it's who he is. What he is like, creation, the fall, his plan for salvation, uh, the prophets... Um, the kings, the judges and so on so much, his plan for salvation this is his foundational teaching for us, as it were, or doctrine, uh, if you want to use the big word and the second is predictive prophecy so prophecy that tells of the coming Messiah what he will be like, what he will do what will happen to him? Think of all those passages that we read at Christmas, ironically, that we only bring out at Christmas. Um, and then, lastly, is God's moral and ethical law. What is right and what is wrong? How we should live. The Ten Commandments and the law. And Jesus says, I have not come to to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfil them. Jesus fulfills, he shows us God's salvation plan for all mankind by living a sinless, perfect life, by dying on a cross for us. God's plan for salvation throughout the whole of scripture, the meta-narrative, as it were, is fulfilled in Jesus And he fulfills the predictions of the prophets in the same way. He is the Messiah. He is the true king. He is the second Adam. It all points to him. I just want to stop a second uh, here and say this mainly about kind of the, the moral and the ethical law. And actually, there can be a misunderstanding that arises. Uh, With this, by saying that Jesus has fulfilled the law. And there are many laws that you're right to say that have been fulfilled. The cleanliness laws, try saying that, Um, about what we should wear, how we should dress, etc., and so on. And they have been fulfilled. And we know they've been fulfilled because Jesus is the one who makes us clean by his blood. And the sacrificial system. As well, Jesus has fulfilled. He is the true sacrifice. The curtain has been torn. But, what this does not mean, and this is really key, what this does not mean is that all of the laws, all of the above, as it were, are now obsolete, or have been fulfilled, so to speak. See, God's ethical and moral law, what he tells us is right and wrong does not change. What God says is right and wrong does not change. It remains and will remain forever. God's righteousness does not decrease. But as we'll see shortly, and we see in uh, the rest of Matthew 5, Jesus shows us an even more radical depth of righteousness that we are called to. You may be someone uh, who is sitting here tonight having metaphorically put the Old Testament or even the Bible in the drawer with your old phones. Maybe your Bible is collecting dust on the shelf. I wonder when this is the last time you actually picked it up and read it. You may equally be someone who tries to disconnect the God, to use the phrase, the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. Or let me tell you there's no such thing. They are the same God. As Jesus shows us here. And do you know what? There's a load of hard bits in there as well. There's a load of hard bits in the law, in the prophets, and in the history equally that, that we might well struggle with and that don't suit us, that don't seem to match up with the God of the old and the God of the new and Jesus. But they are all God breathed. 1 Timothy says that all scripture is God-breathed. And moreover, Jesus puts a, a massive stamp on this in verse 18 by telling us that the law will not pass away until the new heaven and new earth are established. You see, God's word is greater than anything natural. It surpasses that. It endures beyond this creation. All things will fade in this creation, but God's word will endure. And God's word is alive, and God's word is active. The passage that I've quoted this from is in Hebrews, and it goes on to say it is sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating to the deepest parts. It is God's supernatural and authoritative word. That means it, it holds weight it is God's authoritative word. See, Jesus quotes scripture time and time again. You see, to claim to be a Christian and to ignore the Old Testament is like trying to know the storyline of a whole book without reading the blurb. Without reading it and just reading the blurb. Let me say that again properly. To claim to be a Christian and to ignore the Old Testament It's like trying to know the storyline of a book while only reading the blurb. Do you know what? You might get the gist. You might pick it up. You might get some key parts. But you will miss so many of the nuances. And the chances are you'll be way off. And a fair way off. It all points to Jesus. Maybe you need to take the Bible out of the drawer or off the shelf tonight. So now we come to to verse 19 and 20. And Jesus has given us this grounding. This is what it means. This is what it is. And he says this. Let's, Let's read this together. So verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's pretty stark, isn't it? <laughs> so Jesus starts this bit, he says, therefore. And this is one of those, again, like those listen up moments. What I'm about to say is important. In effect, because of this, what he says in verse 17 and 18 This is what you must do. This is what I want from you. And Jesus tells them that they are to keep every last one of God's commands, every last one of God's laws, and to surpass the righteousness of even the Pharisees. Do you know what, if there's one thing that I think we can give the Pharisees a little bit of credit for maybe is that they were pretty good at giving it a go at keeping the law weren't they so they were kind of religious about it there you go they were not just like a oh I'll give it a try you know we do that it's like oh I'll give it a try <laughs> not really they weren't like that at all they were fully going for it, all or nothing. We're going to stick to this law. Do you know what? They added laws in order to make keeping God's law easier for themselves. So that they wouldn't break it. As far as the disciples were concerned, they were very righteous men. The Pharisees were very righteous men. Surpassing so them was no easy task but surpassing them in religiousness was not at all what Jesus meant. That wasn't at all what Jesus meant. But equally you could say, hang on a minute, is Jesus saying that we must keep the law in order to be saved? That would seem like a good question, but no. Ephesians 2 tells us that it is by grace we are saved through faith not by works, not by keeping the law. But that doesn't mean that we ignore the law either. That doesn't mean that we are saved and we continue to sin, continue to just carry on as we were before. We're called to be transformed and to change and to be moulded into the likeness of Christ. And equally, nor does it mean that we should go telling other people to do the same like either, to ignore the law. Remember that God's word endures. We are to come under its authority. We are to come under the authority of God's word. We can't pick and choose. I'm sure you've heard that many times. You can't pick and choose the passages that you want. And it's true. It is all God breathed. And do you know what? I think that's a, it's fair to say that that's a massive challenge for the church in general today, particularly the Western church. Not to pick and choose, to come under the authority of God's word. I wonder, do you find yourself ignoring, potentially even skimming over parts of the Bible that you don't like or that challenge you? Do you try and rule over God's word? Or are you going to come under it? So then what is Jesus going on about? You see, Jesus was and is and will always will be the only man to ever walk this earth, this same earth that you and I walk, by the way, and to keep all of God's commands, to hold to the law, and to live perfect and sinless. The only man to do that. He is the Messiah, the sacrifice for sin. Salvation comes through him and him alone. You are saved by grace. And that grace comes about because of the death of Jesus on a cross for you. You see, no matter how much the Pharisees tried, they could not keep the law. They could not live obedient to it. Their righteousness rested purely on themselves. See, to try and keep the law uh, by yourself is like asking me, I'm scared of heights, to climb up the shard without any climbing experience, without any form of harness or safety gear, and to say, reach the top. So you know what? I might give it a go. Fess up, probably wouldn't. But if I did, see, the reality is, that I wouldn't get very far, and I would plunge, probably to my death. And that's the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin is death. To try and live a life obedient to the law, by yourself in blind uh, blind religiousness, it's just sin, and you can't, Escape the consequence of sin. You will fail. See, the Pharisees' obedience, or not, as it were, was face value. Okay? It was surface level. It didn't really go beyond anything else. It had no depth to it. Their hearts were still fin- sinful. And I wonder, is that you tonight? Are you reading your Bible, seeing what you must do trying to achieve it in your own strength and failing out of some sense of religious compulsion just like the Pharisees if you've got your Bibles open just skim down the the page with me so you'll see under the headings Jesus goes on and he gives six parallel uh, paragraphs addressing different uh, parts of the law So he looks at murder, he looks at adultery, divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye, love your enemies, uh, or hate, as the Pharisees had actually added. Uh, And each time, the essence of what he says can be summed up as this. You've heard it said, do this or that. But I raise you, I take you further do you know what the true interpretation, what it truly means is this. See, Jesus reveals the radical, deep righteousness that God demands, an obedience that cuts to the heart. With murder, he says, if you hate, with, uh, if you're angry, sorry. With adultery, he says, if you even look at a woman lustfully. He's concerned with what's inside our hearts. Romans 3, 21 and 22 says this. But now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. As we said, the the righteousness that the Pharisees sought was based on external acts. And this does not and never did lead to salvation. They relied on their own strength, focusing on themselves. But what Jesus demands of the, the disciples and of us, of you and I, here this evening, is a righteousness that goes deep to our hearts that goes to the very core of who we are to transform us from the inside out to the likeness of Christ. Two verses from uh, two prophets. Jeremiah 31:33 says this: I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts. And how an Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. As the prophets told, as the prophets told, God's messianic promise, uh, his blessing given through Jesus, was that his law would be written on our hearts. His law would be written on the hearts of those who believe and that by the work of the spirit we would grow in deeper knowledge of God's righteousness. In our lives, until the end, when we will be made perfect through Christ. It's by the work of the Spirit, by the law and the Spirit together, that we become changed. I asked a minute ago, uh, if you're like the Pharisees, reading your Bible, seeing what you must do, inevitably failing, out of some sort of religious compulsion. He might even be someone who, who has literally closed the drawer, the drawer, maybe not even opened it, has left the Bible on the shelf. And I want to challenge you with this. And it's this kind of a summary to finish. See, God has given us his word. He has revealed to us in the Old and in the New Testaments the greatest story ever told. With authority and power. It is true. It is true. God's word to us is true. This is not just an airy fairy love story. This is true. The love of a father for his creation. The sacrifice of his one and only son. For you and for I. And the victory over death and evil. It is sure and it is certain and it is true. I encourage you to read it and to do as it says. As that passage from James challenges us, what use is it to read it and not be changed by it? Read it, ask the Spirit to come and to mould you and to shape you. But not out of uh, some sort of religious compulsion, but out of a love for your heavenly Father who sent his Son to die on a cross for you that you might be saved. Let it cut you deep to the core. Let it cut you deep to the core, to the heart. Be encouraged, be challenged, be shaped, be moulded. Be amazed. Have your heart changed, desiring radical righteousness.
0: Amen.